This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks, once again, back at you like a lightning bolt in your Cheerios as the Diamond one, David Lee Roth, once said ad nauseum, or says ad nauseum, I I should say, you've got the DLR Cast, the only podcast by and for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. As always, I'm Steve, along with my good friend and co-host here, Darren Pouchowitz. And Darren, I don't even know where to begin because the week we're hitting this, this is coming out. There's all sorts of crazy Van Halen news in the last, say, week or two, less than a week, four days. I'm going to say in the last four days, like we've been hit with two substantial leaks and one rumor, which we can quickly debunk if you've listened to the other one. But this is like eight years of Van Halen news in a couple of days. Well, when we get to, let me just say, when we go through this, the way this news, I went from really high and feeling good about our favorite lead singer to like, as of through yesterday going, oh man, and just, (laughs) we say this all the time here. I say this a lot. You hate it when your heroes get cringeworthy and you hate it when your heroes are quite frankly, and we all can be a dick. And I don't know if that's necessarily a pain in the ass. And I don't know if that's necessarily can be true that can be with Dave all the time, but we know he's hard to work with. And we know certainly there's been no love loss as far as barbs and things traded around through all the years of Van Halen. But man, I don't know if that just made sense. I think you know where I'm going at here, but let's I, let's get started. I do. And my response is nothing but yeah. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the first one that hit one of the listeners to our podcast, Eric Stangeland, who, who, was on our show, we were on his show in some form and all that. Great, great guy. And he's like, did you listen to the Dave and Dave Unchained podcast? I'm like, well, I've listened to them before. He's like, no, yet. you have to listen to this episode. And, you know, skip the two hours in after the mailbag, and there you go. And I'm like, oh, great, yeah, what's this? Whoa. Whoa, exactly. And let's preface by saying those guys, those guys have a great podcast. I sometimes I don't have the time to put into those episodes. I got to split them up a lot. And I subscribe to so many podcasts anyway, but they do have some great interviews and they do break some news. And this one in particular, set it up. It's an insider from Van Halen's camp, I guess. It's basically a transcribed interview that they did, but it's not the audio of the interview. They can't say who the, who the person yeah. is, but Wow. It was, I sat there oftentimes cringing and smiling while I was listening to that whole thing the other day. Right. So the way that my brain works is I'm listening to it and I'm digesting the info. And then I have in the back of my mind, I'm trying to go, who's the insider? So I reached out to the first person who's given me some info and he's like, I don't know anything about this. And I believe that person. And then the second person who's given me some information, he wouldn't have known some of the Vegas stuff from the last few years. So then I kind of narrowed it down to in my head to a few people, but I can't definitively say who it is because this person knows it wasn't super heavy on 80 stuff. Like the stuff that was discussed would have been stuff that was like discussed after the fact, but there was a good amount of stuff from the last few years. And there was a good amount of stuff from the Van Halen reunions. So it's like whoever this is was in the picture from, say, 2005 forward. And at least at the very least maintains friendship with people still in the picture. I was trying to place the timeline. And that's what I was thinking, too. And 
if you haven't listened to this podcast and listen to ours, well, go run over and listen to it because it's there's a tremendous amount of information here. Some things I think we confirm, some things uh, that some things that you've brought up before through your sources that we've talked about on this podcast. And some of them were quite surprising as far as what the band status, where they were, what they were up to, right. where they were going uh, towards, say, the, I would guess the last two or three years before Eddie's death. The other thing that surprised me, too, was just, and I don't want to give it all away, but there's a lot to unpack here, but all the talk about how close they all were. Well, we'll get into this in a second. It kind of, that kind of goes against the other breaking news. Well, it's, it's not as how close they were. Dave's relationship right. uh, with Eddie. Actually, let's get, let's go jump right over to this. The big news the last 36, 48 hours or so is that there was a former music journalist who had a longstanding text and email relationship with Eddie the last, what, two years from uh, five years, 2015 or so, I think, yeah. of, his, of his life. And that that just broke at rollingstone.com blew my mind completely out of the water yeah well go going back you know before we talk about the eddie stuff the reason and i i wrote to dave and dave from dave and dave on change because because one time i wanted to have a crossover dlr cast episode and that'd be cool we did not get a response on on that one i thought you know Dave C is a Long Island guy. I thought that would go a long way. The Van Halen people at the Long Island roots, what can you do? But I wrote them a note basically saying, great job, but there's a few things that are not correct in your insider. And one of them, if I can spoil it, this is why I'm not going to say that everything is absolutely correct, is that insider is combining the Van Halen 1996 best of sessions of Me Wise Magic and Can't Get the Stuff No More with Dave being an EMT. Not correct. Our interview with Linda Reisman. Uh, is it Reisman or Reisman? I, I text with her and I still don't know. I, <laughs> but, I got a mental blog, but she's the woman who trained Dave. And it's a great interview. Go back a few episodes back from a few months ago. And it's a fantastic interview and basically what you need to know about dave as an emt you'll find in that episode yes yeah, so she confirmed that dave started his emt training in new york after 9 11 so after 2001 i in my horrifying research efforts obtained dave's emt license with new york state and uh <laughs> He obtained certification. I, I don't have it in front of me. I believe it's 2004, and he renewed it in the middle of the first Van Halen reunion. So he did not have that when he was in California, and all the Van Halen recording for the best of that he did was in California. It was when he was living in Pasadena and all that. So to kind of juxtapose, uh, ju juxtapose I got that word wrong, that into the same era is not correct. So there's a few other things that are said that don't jibe in the timeline of things with other people. Like, for example, they said, why did Dave do the radio show in New York? And they said, uh, the insider said, well, he was looking for something to do like a day job while he was doing his EMT thing. Does not line up. Uh, that also further doesn't line up because our interview with Gary Marino talks about the test shows that they did in Boston. It's not as if K-Rock or CBS Radio knew outright, oh, 
Dave is the guy doing this radio show. He had to audition like everybody else. And so if his test show was in 2005, he got the EMT license in 2004. It doesn't line up. So, hey, do you I'm think sorry. that's Do you think that's more of a slip of the person's memory versus the accuracy of what he's reporting? Uh, or what he be, or what he believes it to be reporting to Dave and Dave on the podcast. Well, or in or I should say it's, he's that person that insider is not on the podcast. Let's make that clear. Right. Well, I started stopped listening because there, there wasn't one question about Sonrisa Salvaje in that whole uh, interview. So <laughs> I just lost Jesus. focus. <laughs> no, uh, all seriousness. Um, I'm using that EMT as a mile marker, as a like, as a, a memory point, because I specifically knew when that was and what that was. And there was a while in Dave's career when that's the only thing that people were talking about. Like, if you go through the Dave timeline, people talk about after a little ain't enough. They go to the pot bust of '93. They go to the '96 VMAs thing, and then was that pot bust '93? It was 93, yeah. Are you sure? Wait, was that before or after your filthy little mouth came out? Which to me, I always regard as the New York album because he lived in New York, then recorded in New York. Nile right. Rogers, right? Okay. I, it, it was, was around the same time. And your filthy little mouth was that? 94. 94, that's right. Okay. And that's Vegas right. residency was 95. Right. So one of the things that this insider talks about is when Dave was doing the uh, – the new tracks for the best of which came out in 96 that he hadn't been singing in a while because he was busy with the EMT stuff. Well, no, not, not the case. And also if you read the crazy from the heat memoir, which came out in 97, I do believe he talks at that time about having over a hundred unreleased songs, you know, hence ice cream man and all that. So he was singing. That's one thing that's kind of off. And if I can just say one more negative thing, Eric, who hit me to this article, Eric is an excellent, excellent musician. He didn't buy into the insider's take that Dave plays excellent rockabilly guitar and then he plays excellent 1930s style piano. I'm kind of with Eric where it's like, I think he learned a, five, a tight five to use a stand-up comedy kind of thing like <laughs> you have that amazing five minutes of material that you can do anywhere and it kills i think he's got a tight five on easter instrument you could tell me no I, I eddie's praised his guitar playing before i would bet he's a far better guitar player than he has is a piano player the piano pl piano playing was brand new to me i, I guess it makes sense because i just expect dave to do vaudeville piano straight out of like a <laughs> 1930s uh uh short or something right but yeah the interesting thing, what, what were your takes on this insider talking about their, Dave's relationship with Eddie? And some of the things back up a lot of the things we've read over time. Okay, so first off, Eddie, what he says, Eddie's take, and we'll, this also dovetails nicely in which the, the Rollingstone.com article, sure. article that Eddie it was both it was a it was a loyalty thing with both Dave and Sammy, yes. but with Sammy it was a bit more insidious. It was really about money and and marketing and just be out for himself because i can remember interviews dave basically eddie saying you don't become a solo artist when you're in this band i always read that as you don't you don't mess with the family you don't come even though it wasn't really competing but that his whole beef what i remember very initially was that made that at least went out to the press was that 
he's just using us to be a solo act again. And you don't you don't become a solo artist when you're in this band. Later to hear these recent interviews, not just these, but the mention about the insider and this one at dot com saying, yeah, it was really seething about the he was really seething still about whatever went down financially, which the insider brings up just how great their management was with Ed yep. Leffler and how they made more money. The whole thing to me was just really it's not a lack of trust or faith or accuracy with any of these folks. I think Eddie blew hot and cold, depending on how you got him any, yeah. give, any given day. A lot of the stuff still rings true. I think if there was a day where he had a bug up his ass about David Lee Roth, that was going to last for a good week or two or whatever it was. And Dave was exceptionally good about putting that bug up Eddie's ass, right? But yeah. so I, I, that's a long-winded question for you. But what was your take on the Dave? Because we are the DLR cast. <laughs> I went from going... Yeah, this is what I always hoped it would be towards the end and how things were from 2015 in that tour to right. reading that RollingStone.com article going, holy shit, that tour was, what that, this is, what? No, it bummed me out. There, there was a bunch of things because it, it seemed like they they had this forever respect for one another, but <laughs> at the same time, they knew each other's limitations and would tread lightly. So it's it sounded like Eddie knew, like, yeah, Dave's not been good for a long, long, long time. But, like, that overlaps a little bit from the insider who kept talking about Dave has health problems in this era and this era and this era, which is something that's still not fully confirmed or expanded upon. So it's a question that, okay, how do I put this? I think we now have more questions than we do answers, even though we've gotten so many things answered in the process of all this. And some of these things, you have to cross-reference those two things. But before we delve more into that, can we agree that that Eddie Trunk rumor leak thing is just way off? That the reunion is, that the tribute, whatever they're calling it, is being held up because of Dave? Yes, because... The Van Halen insider who spoke Dave and Dave Unchained said it's Alex who's holding the whole thing up. Right. And Michael Anthony kind of speculated that, listen, he's still grieving. Yes. And the other thing, too, is and I can't keep track of all this, but you and I speculated early on that those conversations, I bet, took place a year ago. And that was confirmed this weekend. Yes. Yeah. We even though it came out as recent news. Exactly. Thanks again, Jason Newstead. Um, (laughs) But, you know, Using my if A leads to B leads to C leads to D kind of thing, Eddie Trunk got that information at the Black Crows concert. The Black Crows are managed by Pete Angelus. David Lee Roth used to be managed by Pete Angelus. I don't think that Pete Angelus is the happiest person in the world about David Lee Roth related matters. Uh, we There's been rumors if you de- dig really deep into the message boards about whether Pete fired Dave or Dave fired Pete. We do know that the Black Crows don't like Dave based on an incident from, I think, 1990 or 1991, which some people have spoken about. Steve Gorman, I think, has spoken about. Anyway, I think that this came from somewhere in the Pete Angelus world, which would not be the most up-to-date David Lee Roth resource. And then... You know, adding a little bit further with the Van Halen insider who spoke with Dave and Dave Unchained, when the person kept saying, and Dave is retired, Dave is retired. What about that late May show in Mexico? 
I don't think he's retired. Who wasn't on the Unchained podcast? Did the insider say it wasn't a show? Uh, I don't think the Mexico thing came up. Now it could be that they. Where did I just see that? Where did I just somebody that that podcast? Very somebody. Somebody was refuting that he was down there for a show, which we know the band went down there. I yeah, somebody I spoke with had posted Facebook photos of themselves in Cabo. (laughs) Uh, Coincidentally, the same exact weekend that David, unless they did a a corporate getaway. All the, Dave giving everyone a vacation, and Dave lied to the paparazzi at LAX, <laughs> which is possible. Uh, no, that was a show. Man, there's a lot in that. I should have been taking more. I should have been taking a lot of notes. There's a lot that that insider divulged. My question is: There's so much info there. Why would that insider risk doing that now? Some of the people that we've had on this podcast were under non-disclosure agreements from Dave. And at a certain point, they went, what's he going to do to me? <laughs> I'm, he's not going to hire me again. Who cares? That was the attitude of, the, of at least three of the people who were on our show. It looks like people started having to sign non-disclosure to work with Dave somewhere around the Van Halen first or second reunion tour. Uh, people before 2005 are not under non-disclosures. But when I reached out to Todd Jensen who's friends with somebody I talk with online, he's like, yeah, I I can't talk about this. So that would be my guess, that some people are fearing the non-disclosures and other people are like, I better get this truth out while I still can. So getting back to the Unchained podcast, yeah, there was a lot, there was some various pieces of information about breakups. Yeah. What was your take on that from... Van Halen to and get and after 96 and the whole from I mean sorry from 1985 and after 96 what was give me your give me your take on all that a lot of it rang really true some of it it sounded somewhat familiar some of it sounded a bit new I think there is such revisionist history yeah I think the only two people who know and don't know the stories were Dave and were Ed and now Dave and I think even their stories maybe have changed a little bit over the years. Yeah, I, I don't know if I talked about this on air, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but I was going through a research wormhole, a uh, rabbit hole rather, related to that 96 reunion thing, and I saw three or four interviews from the same 24-hour period, and Dave gave three or four different, totally different answers as to how he wound up singing again with Van Halen. One of them was that he reached out to Ed because he wanted to make amends, make sure that they were still cool, and then they got along and Ed offered him that thing. Another one was like, this is from Eddie. He's like, Dave heard that they were doing the best of, and he you know, he was still a partner and a fi- our financial participant, and he wanted to find out you know, what the deal was. Another one was Dave giving some stupid story about a guy falling face first off of a bike in Florida and how that knocked 1982 out of him. And he said, wouldn't it be cool if it were 1982? Like, <laughs> you heard all of those and then he told Howard Stern something totally different from all of those. So it's like even in 1996, we didn't know the story and they didn't either. Yeah, the bigger thing is the interesting thing when I look back on that and spent multiple hours and many, many brain cells, especially <laughs> around that time, but didn't necessarily realize it at the time and thought about this 
after reading Noel Monk's book, and there was nobody influential enough to be like the United Nations between those two. Right. Because if, if all the stories are correct, it was it was and then it ends with Dave and Eddie crying and, and it's over and all that and whatever. And either Dave left or was pushed. And. OK, so what as we know, it is Dave wanted basically to do the movie thing. Right. Yeah. If you're if you're Eddie, you're like you're already tired of Karen. Be, you, you've stepped out now as an artist. You a lot of it was about control of the band and having more control of the band and where the music was going. They come off their biggest album ever of all time. I think ego, they're bigger than they've ever been. I think there's so much gigantic ego in there. Maybe it would have been impossible for somebody to just like, okay, here's a detente. You guys have been on the road. Let's do this. Dave in particular always wanted to keep working. The movie thing, leaving to go, I mean, leaving to go do a movie always sounded a little bit far-fetched for me because he's smarter than that. And on and on a related note, the best thing ever to happen to Dave's career was that movie was never done. <laughs> Arguably. But I have a like a big, big, big problem with this narrative, which is like the way that everybody tells the whole thing, where Eddie makes this whole big stink of like, oh, you're going solo. In the last like four years of Van Halen when Dave was there, Eddie played on that Nicolette Larson album for Ted Templeman. He scored that movie, The Wildlife. Wildlife, yeah. He scored that made-for-TV movie for uh, that Valerie Bertinelli was in called, I think, The Seduction of Gina. He, uh, he Thriller. Did yeah, and the Back to the Future thing. Back to the Future and, and Brian also Starfleet. the Brian May Starfleet thing. He did, he did more solo stuff yes. than Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> then Dave did that whole time period from right between between yeah. Van Halen and Eden and Smile. Dave did one EP. All right, Grant, he was working on a movie that whole time, but he was but that was all coming when Van Halen was taking a agreed upon much deserved. We just had the biggest tour and biggest album of our career ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and at that time too, you know, it's interesting too. The Van Halen cycle was record, you know, write, record, get out of the road for a year. Right. right. I mean, and then do it all over again. Right. And the album and tour cycles were very straightforward, I think, and very tight. And if ever they deserved a time to take a break, it was then. Because it's funny to look back on it now when you think, oh, world tour. There's so many places they never hit. Yeah. And Van Halen never hit that. Dave hit as a solo artist. Yeah, I remember an article. I It's either 86 or 88. It's a Dave cover story for Spin Magazine. And he's complaining about how Van Halen hadn't been back to Japan in six years. It's because they weren't going to make that much money. And he's like, I'll go there. I don't care. We'll make money somewhere else. And everybody else is like, we want to tour less. We want to do stadium shows. And, oh, by the way, if I can add another thing that Eddie did, uh, outside of Van Halen, he played on some Gene Simmons demos. And how do we know that? Because of the Gene Simmons vault from five, six years ago that had Alex and Eddie playing the original Christine 16 demo, which Ace Frehley had to uh, copy the, the demo off of. So <laughs> Eddie did a lot of stuff there. And Dave does one thing and he's suddenly the son of Satan for betraying the family, you know? Well, I'll tell you, I think in Eddie's defense, I think it all came to a head in the fact that this was a guy that got this was a guy where it was he was difficult to deal with, difficult to get along. Take a control freak yeah. with a gigantic ego who is the front person literally and figuratively. Yeah. Right. And 
fantastic in interviews, the front man, an amazing showman. It's, it's, it's if you don't feel at some point upstage, you you either have very little ego, you're very mature, or you're Michael Anthony, and you're just and and you're and you have little ego and you're very mature about it, right? Put together a shit ton of booze and other drugs involved yeah. too, which. I think really had a hand in influencing so much of Eddie's reactions versus responding and how he dealt with a lot of things, I think, through the better part of 30 plus years. And uh, no monk um, doesn't get the best feedback from that Van Halen insider now, does he? No, 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 no. That was another thing that jumped out at me. And I was going to ask you what else from there jumped out at you. The no monk thing did. Uh, that came up when I spoke with an insider recently and he the insider i guess i'll mention it now his gripe with noel monk besides actually dealing with him was he said in noel monk's book as one example he talked about the south american tour which i believe was 83 as being a highlight for the band and they were firing on all cylinders and this was an amazing rock band and this guy who was actually in the crew and continued to work with dave after he left van halen it was like are you kidding me that was the worst tour. And then he told me a story about a riot that happened in the middle of a show and how the exchange rate of currency was ridiculous. So people were like playing around with their per diems to make more to get more money because cocaine was so cheap down there. They also had a doctor that was on payroll that they flew down from Miami because they couldn't get Xanax. So they had directly a doctor just to basically give him Xanax on that tour. And everyone was fighting over women and all that too. So, and this Noel Monk book is like, oh man, South America, we were really doing great. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. It's a different perspective on the whole thing. Um, what else stuck out? Oh yeah. Dave participated in the demoing of the songs that became 5150. That yeah. Stop the presses there. Yeah. That blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And we always kind of heard some rumors. It's kind of like the it's kind of like the Bon Scott did back in black tapes, right? <laughs> or That's demoed or rehearsed. Because he, he totally did. Bon Scott totally did the lyrics to back in black. I maybe I, the maybe the lyrics, but there's no he they were just barely getting started writing over some lyrics. I don't think there's any there's I don't think there's any tapes anywhere of Bon Scott doing any material that ended up on Back in Black. Just put it this way. A person who is at my wedding <laughs> was the original co-manager of Aerosmith, and he believes in his heart that Bon Scott did. And then there's that book from Jesse Fink where he talks about particular lyrics like the too many women, too many pills. And they're like, Brian Johnson had not done any pills. And then the part about America, they're like, Brian Johnson had never- oh, sure. Well, that's, Ang that's Angus and Malcolm pulling some lyrics out. They, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. it's, I, don't, I don't think that you had some any sort of woodshedding sessions with Bon and the Young Brothers that became anything of note on Back in Black. They always had riffs, they always had stuff, but was there, was there finished completed songs where brian just had to do vocals over i don't think so according to insiders there were um over that mm. and royalties go to bon scott's family on back in black uh very all right now you're just opening a whole other can of worms i don't even <laughs> want to put this in the show notes for fuck's sake oh but but speaking of acdc um that was an interesting part of the eddie emails 
Yes. All right. Let's get to that in a second. But what I was going to tell you was to, to, I guess, to somewhat sum this up, the insider. What I took away from the insider was toward was the biggest portion about it that did my heart good until yeah. I read some until I until the RollingStone.com piece is that that they were getting along. Eddie and Dave were as close as they probably could be given their relationship. What was interesting on a side note was. They said the families that were involved, he meant, and that, and they didn't explore this any further. But they said Dave's sisters were often involved in communicating. Did you catch that, Pete? That little bit? I did catch that. There's two sisters of Dave. I don't think there's any Van Halen siblings besides Eddie and Alex. Alex. But uh, his, his, I mean, his dad played clarinet on Diver Down. So. Right, but I'm saying as far as like some band issues or different things. One of Dave's sisters would would forward that information along or something. Did you catch some of that stuff? I mean, as far as communications often went through the sisters or family. I, I'm paraphrasing a bit. I don't obviously I don't have any sort of transcription or anything, but that's what I remember a little bit from the interview, and it wasn't really explored any further. That I don't fully know is true. We do know from Dave's memoir that one of his sisters worked as a wardrobe person for him. The other sister's a, a very reputable nutritionist and has her own record company these days, although Dave clearly played a hand in that. But the insider that decried Noel Monk stuff, for me, if that's the correct word, is decry, uh, debunk. Debunk, that's the word. Okay. Sure. The person who debunked the Noel Monk stuff, he named a bunch of Dave's office staff to me because Dave in the Eat em and Smile era had an office staff. This is the bookkeeper. That is the secretary. That's the assistant. And none of those were his sisters at the time. And the sisters, the last time I looked at the Eat em and Smile and Skyscraper tour programs, the sisters were not listed with Diamond Dave Enterprises. It's possible he, he could have gone, hey, here's a hundred bucks. Call this in. Fax this. It's possible, but those are not names that I've heard were working for Diamond Dave Enterprises. Got it. Well, when it comes to that insider, in addition to the 5150 stuff and Dave recording things that nobody has heard out <laughs> that right. we know of, that is sitting in a vault somewhere or sitting in Dave's basement or sitting oh, God knows where. I, I'm sorry. I got to cut you off right there. Yeah, go so in. Hit, hit it. That is another point of contention for me because they kept saying, and that's in Dave's basement, and that's in Dave's basement. Uh, a source I am not allowed to name, but was definitely working hands-on with Dave for a few years, who wishes to have nothing to do with Dave ever again. Uh, I bugged her so much, and I asked him or her a few questions. I asked them a few questions, and that person said, uh, if I answer these, you'll leave me alone, right? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes. Damn. I said, okay, one of my questions is, Dave has a lot of unreleased material. I've heard from somebody else that Dave's house was super cluttered with artwork. And, and that person went, said, that's not true. Dave has minimal furniture and that's so he can dance around and all that. I'm like, okay, cool. But, do you know, are there a lot of unreleased songs? Because some of the recordings would find their way into the DLR show web series. And that person said, oh, there's a lot of stuff, but it's off site. If the recordings are off site, according to that person who is around a lot, but the other people saying it's in Dave's basement, there that well, is 
big discrepancy. Yeah. Right? The other question is, are those Van Halen recordings? Because the insider said Dave it made it sound like there was tons of Dave solo stuff that he's done through the years. Yeah. That we uh, already know and we talk about any all the time anyway. Yeah. How much we don't know. And yeah. he, and this guy and this person in that uh Unchained podcast podcast did mention the John Five album, talked about yes. that as well. And then another person, this person is not anonymous. He runs the Roth Army message board. He kindly sent me some episodes of that Dave TV web show, that that audio web show that he did through his website in the late 90s. And I asked about some of the stuff because this guy knows everything. Uh, Seshmeister, real name David, great guy. I was asking him about some of the music in the background because he hears songs that never came out from Roth in the background of this stuff. And I was saying, like, what is that and that and that? And he said, oh, Dave had that thing. No one had that bootleg before Dave put it out. No one had that thing. So I think Dave has everything. It's, it would not surprise me if Dave is a total completist and is tremendously organized that way and has been documenting anything and everything. Speaking of, you just reminded me, too, that this insider mentions the DLR band album, that he made a cool five bucks a unit on it, made a shit yeah. ton of money out of it, had a blast recording it in two weeks, and it sold really well. And it was just, oops, an oversight that that's not on any streaming media. That I, I, that is another, on streaming sites, I should say. That made me furious when I heard that. And he recorded in two weeks in Vancouver. He, Vancouver. And he recorded in Miami. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's not true. It was either Miami. That's the first thing. The second thing is, how did they record it in 10 days? If you had three different guitarists and songwriters on that album, you had John, like th four or five songs of John Five, like four or five with Terry Kilgore, and then I think two with um, with Mike, uh, what's his name? He, he, he died in the early 2000s, really sad lo loss. Uh, the guitar player, Mike. Why can't I remember? I I feel horrible for not remembering his name right now. It's um, um it's uh, Mike Hartman. Yeah, Mike Hartman. Two songs that I know. The rest is Terry Kilgore. <laughs> the rest. So how was it recorded in ten days, Steve? If you had three different songwriters and guitarists, it's impossible. Yeah. And I don't have the CD in front of me, but I know I know I thought Florida was mentioned. Florida is in the liner notes, a studio in Florida as far as recording there, right? Does that ring a bell? And Wikipedia says Ocean Entertainment Studios, Burbank, Mama Joe Studios, North Hollywood, both in California, of course. When we've talked off air, you've mentioned Miami for the DLR band album. I know that Miami's where he reversed for the, uh, rehearsed rather, my words are not good today. It's where he rehearsed for his Vegas shows in 95. And the Ice Cream Man was tracked in Miami. So I don't know if that bled into the next thing because Terry Kilgore was not part of the Vegas sessions at, at all, as far as I know. But the, the 10 days thing super bothers me because in listening to a bunch of things, in one interview, he's like, oh, we did it in three weeks. And another one, oh, we did it in two months. Another thing, oh, we did it in 10 days. I don't, I don't know what to believe anymore with this DLR band album, except that he pressed it in his backyard. That I believe. Yeah. Interesting. Again, I don't know if that's necessarily, that could be more of an accuracy thing. There was a lot of info this person had. So now, as I mentioned, I felt really good about it as far as Dave's overall relationship with the Van Halen and how yes. it all ended. 
And then comes over the weekend this <laughs> RollingStone.com article. So uh, the short story is a former music journalist by the name of Blair Fisher uh, revealed that he had a ton of email and text exchanges with Eddie Van Halen. That was over the last five years of his life. I guess he uh, he he found Eddie's email in a public database that he had access to after after he left the world of music journalism. And of course, I was able to read it the whole article the other day. Uh, and now, of course, I can't get to his behind a paywall. So uh, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you how to get behind the paywall. Okay. <laughs> Offline. Anyway, but so here's the thing: out on a lark, he this guy emails. Eddie, along with, like I said, emailing a bunch of other people. And sure enough, he gets a reply. And as you would want to do, go, okay, this is bullshit, right? Someone's pulling my leg. Yeah. And then it became apparent that uh, through numerous texts, uh, numerous email exchanges, and he later met Eddie in person yeah. backstage, this was on the up and up. This was legit. Yeah. And Eddie spills a lot. He taught. In the beginning, I'm like, why in the world would somebody talk to some stranger like this? And then I thought, why not? Right. I was suspicious, too. But uh, when he mentions the part about meeting him backstage at the show and then it transitions to text messages, uh, there's no uh, there's no disputing. Like at first it could be like, oh, well, an assistant answers his emails and he talks it out to the person. That's what I thought at first. And then the more information he has readily available, you just go like. This is either the best fan fiction person on the planet or this is the real deal. And I believe it's the real deal. Oh, I totally believe it's the real deal. Where it let me down a bit was how in these emails and texts, Eddie really kind of tore apart Dave in, at different different times. Nothing that we haven't heard before, but right. coming off of the insider interview, I'm got, I got the warm fuzzies about how it all ended to... It didn't may have not ended too well. And I was reminded too of when Dave said we're gonna tour and or this is the Ed of Van Halen, he knows it. And, and, and while Eddie was still alive, and those were some severely cringeworthy movement, cringe-worthy moments for me when it comes to Dave, because I was like, why the fuck back then? I, two years ago, I, I remember thinking, and we probably talked about it, why why would you do that? What was the point? Why do you know what I mean? It was just there's so much to be said when you don't say anything. And there was a couple of times where the last couple of years of uh, Eddie's life where I really wish Dave hadn't said those things. I Maybe Eddie might have, too, apparently. Yeah, I will never, ever forget the David Lee Roth Las Vegas knocking on the fans door in the hotel video. <laughs> Please tell me you've watched that as many times as I have. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's there for the Ultra Music Festival, and, you know, he knocks on the fan's door, or what he thinks is a fan, he goes, Hey, I heard you're listening to some Van Halen. I am Van Halen. And that whole, like, I am Van Halen, I guess coincides with that period of where he was starting to try and take the reins of the whole thing. And... I think he felt like he didn't have any choice knowing Eddie was going to be sick and Eddie was sick and he wasn't probably wasn't going to beat this. But to do it publicly and out loud will forever Ugh. piss me off and make me unhappy. Yeah. And the way that Eddie frames it is and, and also the insider, too, was they were working on material beyond a different kind of truth. And the person who was making it difficult was not Eddie. It was not Eddie 
putting the limitations on what they Wait, could, and could not doesn't do. Doesn't the RollingStone.com article say we wanted uh, this this guy Blair Fisher his exchanges with Eddie through the years? Eddie was blaming the fact that they weren't recording anything because after Different Kind of Truth and the 2015 tour, uh, because of Dave. Yeah. Oh. Oh. So I got to go back to something here. So the insider who spoke to Dave and Dave Unchained was saying that what made the, the album so hard was Eddie and Alex remixing and retweaking and all that kind of stuff. And that is very different from Ross Hogarth, who engineered the album and was like a brother with the Van Halens. He said it was all Dave, that Dave made it difficult. And other people said that Dave cut his vocals separately aside from the band. I think it came out from Wolfie, an interview he did earlier in this year or the end of last year, where he was saying Dave didn't want uh, him and Eddie to sing the backing vocals on it or come up with the vocal harmonies. So this is a he said, he said scenario, but I am unfortunately going against Dave on this one. Same here. I, I, I'm, uh, yeah. Oh, as far as different kind of truth and what got oh, delayed. Oh, oh yeah. And, and like there was, a, I'm, I'm sorry to sidebar here further, but this bleeds into something that was talked about in there. There's a 2013 or 2012 USA Today interview that Dave did where he was talking about the John five album songs. He's talking about somewhere over the rainbow, uh, bar and grill, those songs giddy up and how great they were and how we presented them to Van Halen and they turned him down and it was going to be a jukebox musical because he was inspired by Book of Mormon and hey those South Park guys they're Van Halen fans and and, <laughs> and I, I'm trying to figure out like what did he write all these songs and give them to Van Halen they said no or is it a jukebox musical or after Eddie died, he said that the song was inspired by Eddie and was a tribute to Eddie. Did he like change the meaning? I still have no idea over all this because we always wondered what's the timeline on the John Five album. And it's now looking like it was a few sessions. Maybe it was 2013. Could it be that Eddie went, here are my songs? And Dave went, here are my songs, the John Five ones. And Eddie went, no and that's what that was i this is just brainstorming here but wouldn't that timeline kind of make well, sense but here are the john five songs would indicate that there needs to be a fifth soul a fifth writing credit on a van halen album that's not going to happen uh, save for michael mcdonald and all wait right yeah exactly <laughs> uh well getting back to different kind of truth and the delays and all that both things can be true uh, yeah, both things can In Hogarth's world, it's and he's tight with Van Halen. Yeah, we did a lot. It's a normal thing to do a lot of mixes, right? This is what they wanted. This is what we did. Eddie's got such a discerning ear. He's complained about mixes on albums through the years anyway. And then yeah. it could also be because Dave is such a perfectionist and a control freak that a different kind of truth took a long time. Um, what makes me real curious is the fact that there could have been that, according, if you, according to what we learned this weekend, that there could have been more new music recorded after 2015 or at least after a different kind of truth because remember they did a different kind of truth that came out in 2012 there was yeah. a touring for that for that year then they went out on that final which let's for and all intents and purposes the last tour it was but it kind of yeah. it was basically a greatest hits tour uh they went out with that where everybody was supposedly all getting along that ended with dave's speech at the hollywood bowl and then the van halen uh sorry the the rollingstone.com article kind of those 
emails with Eddie, that shot down the warm fuzzies that I got about the ending there. So, that, I, so could have, how close were they to new music, making any new music? We're never going to find out. I think that they were very close based on the Eddie email. And let's face it, he he had the ball. He had the football, you know, to, to use a sports ball analogy. <laughs> recording studio. He has all the equipment. He could play every damn thing. They were as close as Eddie wanted them to be. And whether or not he was recording or doing full-length stuff, he was always making music. It's Dave who always had the, all the other interests. It's Dave who goes, oh, I'm going to learn calligraphy and sword play. And, oh, that's I'm going to do this for six months. That That's another thing. The Dave and Dave Unchained one, they said, the person said that he went to Japan for health stuff. Oh, you know what? All right. We're, we are listeners. We are all over the place. There's a lot to unpack here. We're sorry. Okay. I but, can, I got notes. I got posted notes. I wish I took more notes. There's all these things popping into my head. Two things just popping into my head that just went out of my head. The insider interview does mention a lot of various health things. Yeah. That Dave has been dealing with supposedly. And also he got into who had COVID and what happened at, uh, and what happened with those new years, the new year shows that weren't. Yeah, so I reached out to one of my sources about the COVID thing, and he confirmed that. So, so that that was not incorrect. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. So I reached out to one of my sources, the COVID okay. thing, and they confirmed that was correct. Or at Got least it. they did not deny what I <laughs> I can't confirm nor deny. <laughs> yeah, so so it's not me saying like everything is is a lie here, but for them to know that means that this person is either still in the picture or is close as close can be with one of the people who's still on the crew. This that, insider. Yes. So the this unchained insider, let's call it. Yes, the unchained insider. That was the case. So yeah, the Dave Held stuff came up and I've now interviewed like three people who worked on Dave's uh, short film in Tokyo, which we may be able to use to the podcast. I interviewed his former friend, Konashiki, the sumo wrestler over there, a, a few other people. And nobody ever mentioned that Dave was in Japan for health stuff. They said he was there for the calligraphy, the sword martial arts thing. And he was in a long-term relationship with somebody, a school, Japanese school teacher. Yeah, and, and there was also he wanted to learn the language and he maybe get his acting career off the ground over there or produce and have some business stuff. So no one ever said the health stuff. Now, I, I spent a lot of time in Japan. Japan is not a country you go to for health treatment, I have to say, as an outsider. If you're a national, it's really, really, really cheap health care in a good way. But to foreigners, it is not cheap. Hmm. Interesting. Very I don't know if that's an error or he just had like a on the download health thing over there. And the whole time he's been telling people he went over there for calligraphy and swordplay. The Unchained Insider in that, the Unchained Insider did mention a lot of health stuff. It made it sound like Dave was ultimately on death's door or was doing better or I, 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 or with nothing was ever going to, was ever going to happen again. And yet there's not... It's not necessarily a good indicator, but he sure was moving and looking healthy in that LAX uh, uh, Fox News, Fox interview from a couple of weeks back. 
coming yeah. back from Mexico. He he has been in excellent shape. If if you're one of those people that goes, oh, that person's too thin. Yeah, you can argue he may have been too thin in the VMA's performance, but I didn't look at any of the three uh, Van Halen reunion tours and go, that is a sick guy. He notably did look a lot thinner with each succeeding Van Halen tour. I definitely noticed that. He was just doing this, the vest thing. from. Uh, he, he was definitely looking a lot thinner on that 2015 tour. But Dave, by his own admission, has said several times that what shoulder and back and knees and, and yeah. how he does things has been very hard on his body. And that insider mes- mentioned that he's had a lot of health difficulties from age 38 on, if I recall, somewhere around there. Well, this this all correlates to a Darren was right thing. Uh, <laughs> you shushed me on uh, during an episode I uh, a couple of months ago. There was the rumor that somebody knew Ray Luzier, 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 what, however you want to say his last name. He was in Dave's band as the drummer for like six, seven yeah. years before I joined Korn. And somebody that knew Ray said that back to the DLR band sessions and around then that Dave had a cane for a little bit. And there was a rumor that he got tattooed because he had scarring for related to his injuries. And you said, come on, but this would actually go with that because they were saying that in his health stuff went back to the early two thousands. Well, it wouldn't surprise me when you're jumping off drum rises as much as you are. Gravity is eventually going to take its toll on your hip and a hip. Look at Eddie. Eddie had a hip replacement. I mean, it's not uncommon in walking with a cane after that or before that, before you finally submit to it and go, fuck, I got to get this thing. I got to get this thing taken care of and fixed. I mean, I've had I've had some hip issues and shit like that. And and you're unless you can fix it, take care of it. It's affecting how you walk, how you stand, how you move around. And you're going to be in pain. Absolutely. And as a guy who never stopped doing martial arts or dancing the 50 rides on the love train. <laughs> <laughs> Which he looks, by the way, didn't look like there was any injuries there. I was watching some of that the other night, just the hell of it, just for the hell of it. And whatever that time frame, I can't remember when that was. That was probably 2012, 2013, somewhere around there, uh, I would bet, if I recall. But looked great there. Do you remember... If we go back to the 29, I'm sorry, the 2020 retirement thing that he did to the Las Vegas newspaper, this is in the back of my mind. The thing that everyone's scratching their head was when he went, my medical team says that every time I step on the stage, and we're going, medical team, what is this guy talking about? That would jibe with all the stuff we've been hearing the whole time. Medical team. If I'm not saying he has cancer, I'm not saying that, but. If you did have cancer, you would have a team. Um, if, if you ha- were having part of your body rebuilt because extreme physical therapy, you would have a team. Sure. Yeah, those are teams. Like the flu, you don't have a team. Let's be honest. Unless you have a lot of things happening after COVID, you don't necessarily have a team either, right? Yeah. So, so. I have a feeling maybe we should cut out and just do a part two on this, but write so many unanswered questions, despite all the answers we did get. And we barely tipped tipped into the the music journalist emails that broke on rollingstone.com, which by the way, go to, there's a nice recap at the Van Halen, Van Halen newsdesk.com. And as always, if you get into the comments, threads have just been grown by leaps and bounds. There's some really good and interesting comments 
no surprise. Uh, there's some really good, interesting comments down there as well about this. And it may, it, it, that's made me ask some different questions about this, about this uh, former music journalist who posted this as well. One of them being, I wonder if he got paid for this. The Rolling Stone article? Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Had to, right? Why would you? Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's illegal. It, it's I shouldn't say it's illegal. You can't do anything for free. Interns get paid these days, or at least they do in New York State, where Rolling Stone is largely headquartered out of. Plus, I wonder too how much this guy revealed that there's other things too, right? That maybe some other correspondence in there that I just. You peel back the onion in a, a little bit, and there's a whole bunch of layers there. Yeah, I'm not saying anything nefarious is going on, but and that RollingStone.com article gives a whole lot of information, and this guy just sounds totally on the up and up. But yeah, it's and and I certainly envy him for having that kind of correspondence. And what clearly was started as a pen pal course friendship, yeah, really turned into a very real legitimate friendship. And this guy idolized Eddie. Yeah. And but at the same time, though, man, it's a, I, you'd have to offer me. I don't know if I could do it. You'd have to offer me a really big check for me. This I I want this at least while I was alive to remain in my possession to kind of honor him and, and Wolfie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of the comments are are blaming Blair in some way for taking being opportunistic or I, I don't necessarily I, I, think that's okay. fair. Opportunistic is opportunistic I, is it happens the first three months after Eddie's death. Right. I, I think that this is a therapeutic, meaningful thing to a lot of people and to suppress it or keep it permanently hidden. Um, well, if you notice in there, it says that uh, a Van Halen Representative did not uh, decline comment, as did Wolfgang. I forget yeah. if it's third or fourth party in there. I'm sure the way that Rolling Stone did this is they reached out and went, by the way, we're going to run this. If you'd like to participate in this, we'll give you some level of creative control and we'll make sure it's to your liking and we'll do that. And then they went, nope, ignore, delete. And Rolling Stone, okay, we did our due diligence. You have a paper trail? Okay, send us all the stuff at, for your rec, from your records as proof that's time-stamped. Now we can't get sued because it's newsworthy. Done. You're protected. We're protected. We tried. Yeah. I mean, he. it bums me out that he did – that those emails, he pretty much cut Dave – pretty much hammered on Dave a lot. Although I think when you read those emails, Hager got the worst of it. Yeah, and, and learning or read that, that article, Anthony, I should say, and that and the insider sounded the same way. They don't want Michael Anthony partially because he's a package deal with Sammy. Like, wow, and, and all the correspondence kind of confirmed that both Eddie and the and the Dave insider. Yeah, and and I'm with you. Um, this this is largely not a good look for Dave. Like, we. One thing that no one disagrees about is how intelligent and hardworking Dave is. Everyone, like whether or not you love his voice, what his voice is like now, how he's treated people, his output, regardless of that, you, no one can go like, that man is dumb. <laughs> Nobody can do that. Everyone is in agreement that he's smart and he's always thinking ahead 
and he works super hard. But it it's largely not a good look for somebody who's smart and motivated. No, I told, I, I can't argue with you there. And yeah, it, that that's a that's a bummer. And I I think that in the past I was very judgmental on Eddie for his lack of commenting on things. I looked down on it with a lot of negativity, like oh no, yeah, maybe he was the dick the whole time. But it really also feeds into the well, he's got nothing to prove. He doesn't care. He knows he's right, and that's kind of it. Yeah, and I think also like anybody, he's a. He, like he's a human, right? Your yeah. moods are going to change at that moment. I mean, and I think deep down at the end of the day, there was a lot of maybe begrudging. I wish it wasn't. I, I can't help myself. I got nostalgia and a lot of love for this guy. I'm where I am today with his huge help. It reminds me of what Kiss always says. We couldn't we couldn't get to where we are. We couldn't have got to where we are and where we traveled without Peter and Ace. But we wouldn't be any. We, it, but we wouldn't still be going if they were with us. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. I mean, in a perfect universe, in a perfect world, let's say they somehow get back together, uh, Eddie and Dave in 85, 86, or whatever it is. Do you think he's he's still in the band 35 years later? Do you think this is like Ian Gillen and Deep Purple with Steven Tyler and Aerosmith? where every? I I think that breakup probably, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. that breakup given... The personalities, the the creative juices, the fires in these guys, the passion, the egos. I think a breakup was probably inevitable. I'm with you there. Dave, there's no Dave albums that sound like the previous Dave album. He, he changes his mind a lot, whereas there's a lot of pressure on Van Halen to still have Eddie's signature tone. And Van Halen had the pressure to go back you know, standing on top of the world is not that different from Dance the Night Away. Some of the songs kind of rewrite themselves. A lot of a different kind of truth is rewriting themselves. Dave is not that way for better and for worse. He, there's certain projects in Dave's career that you could say it's a redo of a redo. Like you could say that Dave TV was the first round and No Holds Barbecue was the second round and the radio show was the third round and the DLR show was the fourth round. You could say that in a way, but uh, the man has no shortage of things to say for better and for worse. Right. And no shortage of of, of desires to be creative. Like I would I've spent hours wondering, especially when I was younger, going Man, if you're Dave, because he's my idol, we. But right. I can remember at the time having these conversations and having these arguments, and just internally myself going, I was because I was so fucking depressed, man. I mean, I, I Hager to me, take it or leave it. I loved heavy metal from the heavy metal soundtrack. I liked I liked the stuff I heard on the radio. I mean, he just never rose to that level where I had to go run out and get an album by his. And I liked 5150 didn't love it because i thought the sound was so weak i never liked never liked the sound of eddie's drums but i had to begrudgingly say god damn as as far as an aor record a melodic rock record this is a damn good record what i'm getting as i would spend i spent so much time just hoping and wishing and also wondering dave man how come you just just put it together man just go why would you leave this right to me it was unfathomable this was but you know what's unfathomable, I think, to Eddie is the fact that somebody had, can have so much diverse 
an outside interest. Maybe not unfathomable. He gets it now, and he's and he's all he said in interviews. Dave's got all these other things that he's interested in. Yeah. And to Dave's credit, he went where his muse took him. What he wanted to do. The easiest thing for him to do in the world would be to swallow some creative pride there, let's say, or desires, and go, yeah, I'm going to stick this out. Well, there was a thing from the Eddie emails where he was telling Blair that. Dave was refusing to sing any of the deep cuts. And hey, if they have to tell Dave to get off the stage and let the audience sing the words karaoke style, well, that's what they're going to do. And ultimately, there were some some deeper cuts that were performed. But it's so weird to me that Dave always pushes the ball forward when it comes to his albums as creative endeavors. Like that DLR project, uh, comic book thing in 15 years i still don't think we're gonna understand what that was that was so forward thinking yet if you go hey dave we want you to perform at this charity gala he'll be like so you want me to do jump in california girls like he only wants to do the hits when it's live yet every other facet of his life never do the same thing twice no and i think maybe that's just he really believes in giving the people what he thinks they ultimately want. I've said it before. One of my beats with his solo stuff is the fact he doesn't step out more. Like, I would have been very disappointed if those canceled Las Vegas shows were just a rock band doing the hits that got him there. Because I think for Dave fans, for folks listening to this podcast, man, it's everything and the it, it's throw it all together. It's that great stew that Dave can put together and all those influences. I, I would love to hear uh, that version of some sort of different version of ice cream man i would love to hear a slow right. grind of, 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 of you know just horns and backup singers and really make it that show that kind of you i think would expect from him but yeah. for him being the perfectionist i think and also whatever limitations he might have vocally it's here's these hits and this is i and we give the people what we, what they want yeah. And I think he I think they always did that. You know, when they did cover tunes, we give the people what they want. So here's cool the gang. Here's do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I hear that. It's it, it And can, maybe that's part of the reason why 1984 at first rubbed in the road. You're a guitar hero. Give the people what they want. <laughs> they want to be a, there was a what where was the analogy that I read or saw somewhere the other day? It was um uh it was oh now I can't remember. They made the analogy of of um, it's like asking Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, somewhere was it the Dave and Dave podcast where they said, "Yeah, it's yeah. like when Michael Jordan went to went to uh, went to play baseball." Just ask him, "Don't I, you know what? We don't want you to play basketball. Just play baseball. You're pretty decent. You're you're a good baseball player, but you're a fucking amazing guitar player." That analogy somewhat a little bit rang true to me, and I yeah. maybe that's from that's from where Dave sat going, "Jesus, man, this is our bread and butter ticket. Look at this. We filled stadiums because of this." And then weirdly, Dave comes out with a, you know, a Louis Prima cover. <laughs> it really, I guess it's it's kind of like that South Park episode on racism early on where the people have to explain to Token that they understand racism by saying, you know what? I get it because I don't get it. And then Token right. understands, he's like, so you, by you saying that you don't understand what it's like to me, be me, 
you do understand what it's like to be me. Well, I think that it's not just so cut and dry with Eddie or with Dave and reading these things. I, I think that if somehow an Alex thing gets leaked, I think we're going to be even more confused. I think we're going to find even more discrepancies yet. Weirdly, Alex seems to be the mediator between all parties and get along with everyone under the sun except Sammy Agar. Yeah, man, so many layers. All these things are popping in my head that popped out at me from the from the uh, from that Unchained interview in particular. Which kudos to those guys. Like for instance, Dave said no to the 2004 tour that ended up being with Sammy because Eddie wasn't clean and sober. Yeah. Another person had told me that the 2002 thing, uh, which they kind of went into about those failed sessions, that those that was originally supposed to be the kitchen sink tour in 2002. And then it turned out to be this was not addressed in that leak, though, that they were calling that after Sam and Davey, uh, Dave went on tour to go. They started calling it the non Halen tour amongst crew members there non-halen because uh, well anyway <laughs> as with everything there's multiple layers and there are a lot of shades of gray when did irving azoff step into the picture for van halen do you know that i thought it was for the 2007 reunion he was definitely there he was definitely there for he was management for them for a different kind of truth I'm getting the vibe that it was earlier and we didn't pick up on that. And I say that because wasn't it Ed Leffler died in like 93, 94, and then he was replaced by Ray Daniel and Ray Daniels, how they brought in Gary Sharon because he's managing extreme and Van Halen at the time. And once that kind of failed, they cleaned house. You could be right. The Azov thing always made sense to me because let's face it, he engineered he engineered the Eagles getting back together. So oh, if, if you could handle that, you are the perfect manager for Van Halen. Yeah, he 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 is without a doubt the greatest manager in the history of music. And just saying Van Halen and <laughs> just saying Van Halen and the bands that we just mentioned is just one percent of what he did you know the magic that he's done for journey and taking them from a band that no one cared about to something that four generations of people love even though they can't name anyone on stage besides neil sean that's not the point but <laughs> uh irving Azoff is the best and what i'm getting at is i would assume that he was part of the 2004 sammy hagar reunion tour that he was in the picture for that. And then Maybe. I'm assuming that he would have been in the picture before that. So that people aren't really considering the fact that Azoff is very, very methodical and very calculated in a smart way. So there may have been reasons why things happened or didn't happen that are more basic than, uh, I should say, that are more complex than, well, Dave and Eddie didn't get along. I, I think yeah. that that Azoff is the third person who knows everything that happened. Yeah, man, I need a dry erase board behind me here to keep track <laughs> of all this shit. I got to tell you, a gigantic corporate sized office meeting room dry erase board. We'll bring in some danishes. We'll hash it all out and <laughs> get the staplers, get the manila folders. I can't keep track of it all. 
Oh, we could do another hour here, my friend, but we got lives to live and Van Halen thoughts to ponder. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and see if I can pull up this article again, but also go back and go back and listen to that Van Halen insider of the that insider from ostensibly from the Van Halen camp on the Un, Dave and Dave Unchained podcast. And right. you got to get about two and a half, two hours plus in or so. And uh, the first two hours are definitely interesting too. But if you want to get straight to the straight to that podcast, to great straight to that interview, you got to go. You got to go fast forward a bit. Amen. Well, the bottom line is more to follow, and hopefully we get another person who's leaking the truth very, very soon, and we have another bunch of episodes to to dissect. Maybe Michael Anthony, someone was secretly texting with him. Maybe that happens. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but if, if, if it if it is, we'll be talking about it. We never educate, but we damn sure well can speculate. <laughs> <laughs> 